business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's just gone 10 past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. The 24th of February is the day, 24th of February 2022, is a day that none of us will forget. The world has changed as we know it. We've been through COVID, seem to have come out the other end. Um, maybe the better for it. Things have been tidied up. Things have been strengthened. Foundations have been laid and businesses continuing as per usual. China seems to be a little bit in the dark ages on that front. But for the rest of us, we moved on. And then all of a sudden, Vladimir Putin decides that he's going to change the world as we know it. He invades Ukraine. He calls it a special operation. But together with that, everything gets turned on its head. First of all, the human suffering, millions and millions of refugees, people with no place to go, no home, businesses stopped, country economy, it just grinds to a halt. And all of a sudden, the world is now standing on the sidelines looking in. We're all aware of that. And we've seen the wonderful videos of how amazing the Ukrainians have been and how they fought back and how Russians have been humiliated. We also don't look too carefully, unfortunately, at the human suffering, the cost. It's not just people who have been displaced. Lives have been destroyed. Livelihoods have been destroyed. But more than that, economies have been dented. So when, I, uh, when I'm in this scenario where I really need someone to take a step back, give us a macro look at everything, I always turn to Wayne McCurry. Wayne, welcome to Chai FM. Thanks very much, Avi. Thanks for inviting me. Pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you as usual. Wayne, maybe just give us a quick balance sheet view, an overview. How does the world stand economically since Vladimir Putin sort of lost his mind and invaded Ukraine? Yeah, look, I think we've got to see, as with everything, you've got to see things in perspective. So first of all, the Russian economy and the Ukrainian economy are very, very small. First of all, I'm going to just apologize to the listeners. I'm in my garage, so there'll be a lot of noise around, unfortunately, a lot of background noise. The Ukrainian and Russian economy added together, I think, well, they both shrunk enormously, or probably about just over 1% of the world's economy. So in other words, they are incredibly small economies, and the economic effect of this war would be virtually nothing if Russia wasn't a big oil exporter and Ukraine wasn't a big grain or food exporter. So in other words, if they were neutral on energy and neutral on food, this would literally only be a political event. It wouldn't even be an economic event at all. But unfortunately, that's not the reality. So certainly on food prices and on energy oil, this war has got an effect. Uh, as we all know, Ukraine's battling to get their produce off the field and out of the country, and they very big in vegetable oil, but very big exporters of grain in total. And of course, Russia is not the biggest oil exporter in the world, but it is certainly one of the biggest. And they can still export the oil. No one wants it because now, you know, you making, and correctly so, making a political statement that 
we don't want to use Russian oil. And if this war persists, eventually everyone else will use oil from some other source because the reality is there's no actual shortage of oil. Now, I'm just going to deviate slightly. When you talk about commodities, commodities are, other than platinum, there is almost infinite supply at the right price. So there's no shortage of oil at $110 a barrel. There might take a long time for that oil to come to the market. It might take a long time for your distribution and logistics to handle the oil from another source. In other words, if Europe doesn't import Russian oil or gas, they've got to get it from somewhere. And it may take an awful long time to build the ships and build the terminals and build the pipelines and all the logistics around. But there's actually no shortage of oil at $110 a barrel. So when we talk economic, economics and markets, there's a way bigger factors at play here than the Russian war. Way far substantially bigger. I mean, literally by a factor of 10 bigger and that's inflation and interest rates worldwide. Far bigger effect on markets and on economies than what this war is. This war is, it's not quite an economic sideshow, but in comparison to high inflation and increasing interest rates, it is a little bit of an economic sideshow in relation to those two factors. They are when, far more important. When it comes to Russian oil and Russian gas, um, you make a very interesting point that if Russian oil and gas had to stop for whatever reason altogether, the world would be able to find their supply elsewhere. There might Eventually. just be a lag. Yes, yes. I mean, just also just now, these are very rough figures. The world consumes about 100 million barrels of oil a day. Russia produces, now I might be wrong here, I think about five million, four, five million barrels or exports four, five million barrels a day. There's Saudi Arabia, it might take, well, not Saudi Arabia, let's say the rest of OPEC, but it's basically Saudi Arabia, has got probably nine million barrels spare capacity. It might take them forever to get that capacity back on stream. American shale has probably got two, three million barrels spare capacity also might take them a very long time to bring that on. But eventually, there is enough oil around. In fact, there's going to be a bigger oil crunch in five years' time, 10 years' time than what we see now, because no one, because of the whole move to green energy, no one's invested in oil for 10 years. So as the current oil wells dry up, because they all, they all do eventually dry up, the demand for oil obviously is in permanent decline, but the, the decline is not quick enough to actually offset the decline in the output. So we could actually sit, same as you do with coal now, exactly the same with coal. We could sit with a severe oil crunch in five, 10 years time until we truly do go to more green energy and electrics and batteries and everything. But uh, right now, there's no shortage of oil. Okay, so let's let's go back to Ukraine and Russia. What effect has it had on the markets? Because we know that the markets are really driven by sentiment. How's the sentiment that's come out of a war and maybe NATO's inclusion in that, you know, tacitly or directly, how's that affected world markets? Well, obviously it's a negative, 
But the reason why markets are falling is because interest rates and inflation, or interest rates are going up and inflation's high. That's the reason why markets are falling. If, if we were back a year ago with US long bond rates at below 1% and inflation virtually non-existent, the oil price would have spiked, but that wouldn't have had a dramatic effect on inflation. That this war would have had a fleeting negative impact on markets. Right. But of course, that's all speculation because that's not the reality. The reality is now the US has got 8% inflation and the US long bond is 3% plus, not below one. But that's the true effect on markets. The actual Russian-Ukrainian war has a, in comparison to higher interest rates and inflation, a fleeting negative impact on markets. It's not actually as big a factor as inflation and interest rates. It's as I said, inflation and interest rates are probably a factor of 10 bigger negative on the markets than Russia and Ukraine. You know, Wayne, interesting, when it comes to interest rates, if the American interest rate is going to increase, that should have a negative impact on the market because yes. it's almost, you know, till recently, putting your money in the bank has been a really bad decision. Stupid, yeah. yeah. yeah all of a sudden now, it's a safe place to put your money. Correct. Markets are driven essentially by two factors. Share markets now are driven by two factors. The first factor is what earnings are you, what earnings do you anticipate into the future, which right. ultimately comes from the economy. So ultimately, the one factor that affects share market affects share markets is the future state of the economy. And the other one is interest rates. At what interest rate do you discount that future profit flow? So if your economy goes into a recession, earnings disappear, that's negative for markets. But if interest rates go up, the, the, the future value of those profits diminishes because people now have an alternative to put money in the bank. So that's, I, I, I've been in markets for, for too long now, in fact, and I've truly only learned one lesson, and that is markets hate higher interest. Markets hate increasing and high interest rates. They just hate it. Well, on that maybe negative note, but maybe a, a good point, let's take a quick break and run to the shops. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9. Hi, FM. On the line with me is Wayne McCurry. We're discussing the macroeconomic effect of the war with Russia and Ukraine, or maybe Russia against Ukraine. And, and Wayne, really, as you're saying, that the economies are so small that they're really not all that significant and that interest rates is a bigger concern. Let's come local, for example, um, for a moment. We know that during COVID, our interest rates, you know, really, really dropped to the lowest they had been for many, many years. How do we see them going forward? Well, we, as long, we, along with the rest of the world, except China and Russia, are going to have significantly higher interest rates at the end of this year. We are going to get an interest rate increase every single uh, reserve bank meeting. And unfortunately, that would put a damper on our economic growth. Even though our economy is not looking bad, higher interest rates never help economic growth. We have, we are relatively fortunate, and so is the rest of the world. There's no massive debt bubble out there. Now, simplistically, everything 
95% of what happens in economies and markets is cyclical. You get falling interest rates, you get rising interest rates, earnings go up, earnings go down. There are incredibly few structural changes. I mean, the big structural changes I know of are when uh, in the early 80s, when the US decided inflation was truly the enemy and they did, they combated and we had 30, 40 years of declining and low inflation. That might be changing now, unfortunately. That's one structural change. The move to computers and IT and whatever industrial revolution you want to call it, that's also a structural change. And obviously the move off fossil fuels and that is also a structural change. But these structural changes actually don't happen often at all. And secondly, they take significantly longer to actually come to full effect than what anyone predicts. In other words, it's more evolution than revolution. Right. So the point is everything else is cyclical. And, and now we've been in a period of low inflation and low interest rates for, for 12 years, and that's extremely good for the share market. So we have had a bull market, especially in tech shares of note. I mean, the environment for shares in the last 10 years up until a year ago was the best in living memory. In other words, life could not have got better for the share market than what we had up and for the last 10, 12 years up until a year ago. Now we're unfortunately going into the bad part of the cycle, which is rising interest rates and rising inflation. Um, it's not going to last 12 years. I mean, normally the period of rising interest rates, et cetera, is a relatively short time period, but we are definitively changing. The cycle has already changed. So I doubt if the equity market returns going forward over long time periods will be a third of what we've seen over the last 10 or 12 years. Because as I said earlier on, the last 10 or 12 years are actually abnormally, were abnormally good for shares. They were truly extraordinarily once in a lifetime type of environment positive for shares. Now I think we are just going into a normal, a more normal period where inflation is normalizing and interest rates are normalizing, but it's not normal to have negative bond rates. It's not normal to have zero interest rates. It's not normal for a 50 year government bond to be trading at negative interest rates. It's highly abnormal. So now I think we're going back into a more normalized economic environment where inflation is 3% and interest rates are 3% instead of zero. And in this transition to this more normalized environment, it's very bad for the share market. I mean, the, the US share market's down, the big share markets are down 15, 18%. Our market's down 13, 14, 15%. The NASDAQ's down 25, 30%. NASPERS and process are down 60%. You know, this is what happens when things start to normalize is that the big flyers and the big beneficiaries of the extremely good equity environment are unfortunately the ones that come down the most. Then you get also what indicates to me a change, a change in trend is when one news item happens and these massive companies, the shares fall 40%, like Netflix. I mean, these are massive companies. 
They've come out with one quarter disappointing subscriber numbers, share falls 37%. Then Microsoft, also a massive company, comes out with some reasonably good set of numbers, share jumps up 18%. These massive gyration in, in share prices of mega companies is very, to me, very indicative of a change in the cycle. And also, as I've said many times before, unfortunately, it's a change for the negative in the cycle. And our share market is actually one of the better performers, certainly in RAND terms, than what we see overseas. And I don't think we're at the end yet. However, there's only one question to answer. There's literally, if you get this answer right, you will be okay. You will, you will manage your investments reasonably well in these difficult circumstances. And the question is, is inflation falling to below 4%? And let's just use America as the example. Or is it going to stay above 6% or stay at 8%? If inflation is staying above 6 or 8% in America, the share market's not even close to finish falling yet. If it comes down to below 4 in, say, six months' time or a year's time, we've probably had the lion's share of the market correction. I don't know, 60%, 50%, 70% of the correction in the market has already happened. So the, the only question is, is inflation falling to 3 to three to 4%, which I think it is, that's my view, or is it staying above 6 or at 8%? Uh, and if you get that answer right, rate. you will make your right investment decisions. So with the American interest rate increase, is a temporary thing? Interest rates in America are going to stay between 3 and 4% for the right. foreseeable future, if not for the next couple of decades, because that's normal. But if it stays above 8 then interest rates must go to at least 5 or 6 or 7 or 8%. And if that happens, the markets will collapse, literally, and we will go into a fully blown recession because the economy won't be able to sustain such higher interest rates. If interest rates go to three, which they are already, long bonds already at three, then the economy will slow down. But I think we will avert, avoid a major recession. Wayne, Nick has a question quite facetiously. He says, I hear what Wayne is saying about a bull market over the last 12 years. When I look at my investment portfolio, it's had a good run in late 2021 and early 2022 until this week. However, the last three years, I've had very moot returns. How does that relate to a bull market? Well, look, it depends. I don't know what he's got in his portfolio. But if you own U.S. tech shares, you had the best. His portfolio is primarily made up of equity unit trusts. Yeah, but if they're South African or global or are they tech or non-African. The South African share market hasn't done as well. Look, when I talk these big trends, I'm talking more global share markets and specifically U.S. share markets. I mean, we've seen absolutely stunning returns from U.S. big tech shares. So when I say the markets have been fantastic, it's more related to U.S. tech. I mean, unfortunately, right. yeah, in South Africa in the last 10 years, we had a severe bear market in commodities from 2000, from 2010 to 2015. And then we had Jacob Zuma and we've mm -hmm. had a terrible economy with high unemployment and, and, and we all know the problems yet. So my general comment is not about the South African share market. It's actually about uh, global share markets. But even with all of that considered, 
you know, our share market hasn't done badly. You know, it's been certainly better than what sometimes you expect us to do, given all the problems that we've had in our economy. But my, my comments generally about the best environment ever relate specifically to US and specifically to US tech. Well, global shares and global tech. Wayne, to throw a cat amongst the pigeons, and I know I'm going to get people all riled up about this, but we saw when Donald Trump came in, a change in the mood in the American economy. It was really bullish. It was aggressive. Um, jobs were staying in America. Job numbers were increasing. Has the decline got anything to do with the change in political landscape in the States? I, I don't think so. I think... All of these things are by and large coincidental. Right. Trump came into power when the U.S. pumped the U.S. government, the U.S. central bank pumped in countless trillions in free money into the economy, and interest rates were zero. Right. And no one had any debt, so it didn't matter who was in charge. The economy was going to absolutely go crazy and jobs would they be they're, 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 they're more they're more jobs than people you know so anyone could have been in, in charge i don't think trump trump didn't cause that that was caused by the federal reserve and the aftermath of the global financial crisis so literally anyone hillary could have been in charge anyone <laughs> could have been in charge the economy would have done done well now biden unfortunately I mean, there's still more jobs than people in America, but unfortunately for Biden, he's now the president with inflation going through the roof and higher interest rates. So the economy won't do well under Biden, but it could be anyone in charge. It could still be Trump in charge. The economy wouldn't do well because inflation's 8% and the US president can't control inflation. So I think it's more coincidental than anything else that uh, this, let's call it move mood swing to the negative is just happens to be while President Biden is in power. You know, I, I think it's quite ironic on, on just as a side comment once again on President Trump, he was going to make America great again. America's never been greater economically speaking, you know, in, in the post-global financial crisis. America was king. I mean, literally, it's quite funny that he thought somehow America was in the doldrums and he was going to pick it up. America was already great when he came along, economically speaking. And now, unfortunately, you know, the good times are behind us. You know, I often think we, we all watched uh, President uh, Barack Obama's speech, um, you know, and, and, and we were all moved by it. And, I'll, you know, I often think the poor man got off the stage, walked into the White House and all hell broke loose. And yes. it was almost like he had brought a curse into the White House. But the timing was just what it was. And yeah. the poor man then had to navigate these, these tornadoes where yes. he literally walked into it. He didn't cause anything. Yeah, he thought the biggest problems, the biggest problems when he went into the presidency paled into insignificance in relation to the global financial crisis. I mean, we forget about it now because it's, you know, it's a good couple of years back. Right. But the world's banking system literally came within days of collapsing where you couldn't transact. You wouldn't have been able to pay anyone. You would have literally gone back to a barter economy. I mean, that's how close 
the global banking system actually came to collapse. So, I mean, to navigate that, and he did it successfully. And I've always thought about this, and I've mentioned it often in many presentations and speeches that I got. Was this truly just a free lunch that the U.S. government, the U.S. central bank could pump? I mean, I, I don't know the number, and I don't think anyone knows the number, but let's call it $15 trillion into the economy, free money, absolutely free money, $15 trillion into the economy and have interest rates at zero without consequences. Because for 12 years, there were no consequences. There were only positive. Well, there were consequences, but they were all positive. Now, maybe we're seeing this inflation as telling us it's not a free lunch, although I'm not sure this inflation is not related per se to free money, you know, like inflation in Zimbabwe, that's related to, 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 to too much free money. Right. This inflation is related to commodity prices, oil in particular, but also coal. It's related to bottlenecks, bottlenecks because of COVID and supply chain and chip shortages and all of that. And that's got nothing to do with free money. So that's why I think inflation is falling back to 3 4% in a year's time. Simply coming back to the Russian war, I mean, as we spoke about extensively, there's no shortage of oil. So eventually there'll be enough oil around and the oil price will fall. But second comment on that, this war is unsustainable for the Russian economy. It is no matter what spin Putin puts on it and no matter how many times it gets, wants people to buy his gas in rubles and this, this, the sanctions on his economy are truly and utterly devastating. The, the economy cannot sustain this war. So I think, the, I'll be, I think there's resolution to this war in months, not years, because you can't settle, you can't import, you, you can't transact globally. I mean, the Russians are global economy. All, all, all economies other than North Korea are global economies. So these sanctions are, are, are truly and utterly devastating to the Russian economy. And eventually, you know, that pressure will be felt at the highest levels and it'll, it, it'll eventually be uh, too much. And uh, I still think that at some stage, in the, hopefully in the not too distant future, there will be some compromise between the countries and Putin will declare victory and retreat. I mean, it seems quite obvious that he wants to keep these provinces as Russian-controlled entities, but he did that with the Crimea 10 years ago. He just took it over. So it's not the first time that part of Ukraine has been annexed by Russia. So, I mean, just the point is, this war is not going to go on for 10 years. The, the Russian economy cannot sustain that. It's just too devastating for the Russian economy. No, well, it's, it's interesting what you said because I remember being in a conference many months, many weeks ago now, shortly after the war started, and uh, there was a whole discussion. And I turned around and said, "The war will be over shortly. The Russians cannot handle the economic crisis." Yes. And um, what it just goes to show is that there's very little difference between Putin and Stalin, because he doesn't yes. care about the people ultimately. It's all about his own glory. Um, Wayne, unfortunately, we're starting to run out of time and the questions are pouring. Let's take a quick ad break and I'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to Wayne McCurry. 
Wayne, we really got a lot of questions coming in. So let me try to get through them. People are asking, do we expect a surge in the gold price now that we're seeing the markets coming off? It's quite possible. I'm not a huge gold fan. Uh, I, I don't understand how gold works. But in theory, yes, high inflation and uncertainty should be good for the gold price. In the same breath, people are asking about platinum. Look, I'm very bullish on platinum longer term. Uh, I, I think that the move to green energy, even though it's not immediately apparent now, could favor the PGM groups enormously because I think the future doesn't lie in battery technology. Personally, I think the future lies in fuel cell technology right. or hydrogen technology, and that's very good for platinum. In the shorter term, platinum doesn't react to the same extent to higher inflation and uh, global turmoil as gold does. So in the shorter term, I don't think it will be terribly positive for the PGMs, but longer term, a decade out, five years out, I'm very, very positive about platinum. Well, maybe just to share with you here in Israel, you go to a normal shopping center, there's Tesla charging stations, maybe a whole row of them, 10 in a row. I was just in the UK last week. Almost every car is a hybrid. Many, many cars are electric. And it's just fascinating to see. Um, yeah. I saw Look. a Mercedes E500 that was hybrid. Um, I drove in a brand new Honda that is purely electric. Um, and it's phenomenal. As you mentioned last, um, last time uh, we spoke that, you know, vaccines will, there's just so many of them, you won't have to worry about them. And your concern was whether we can do, produce battery cells. Um, as quickly as possible to you know keep up with the demand. Yeah. So I think that you're definitely right over there. Um, Wayne, sorry to rush along. You mentioned NASPERS. People are asking, is this a buying opportunity? Look, I think NAS, NASPERS and process are just dirt cheap, to be honest. But that doesn't seem to stop them falling. It all depends on how the Chinese authorities feel on any one particular day. Are they going to attack tech or not? Now, you can go into a long discussion about tech, but it's Chinese tech. But essentially, the, the, the Chinese don't like these big tech companies because they feel somehow they're losing control of people, of their population, of their subjects, because they people are so influenced by online and live in the digital world and play games and somehow they're losing their authoritarian control. And they particularly didn't like it when the big tech companies started offering education facilities. And with Western lecturers and Western teachers teaching Chinese people online that they just absolutely slaughtered that part of their business, just outlawed it. And they don't like this. I mean, imagine a government coming to tell citizens that if you're below 16, you can't spend more than three hours a day playing a computer game. This is exactly what's happening. They're limiting the access. So they don't like the power that these big tech companies have got, but they seem to be pulling back on this onslaught against their own tech companies. So whether NASPAS and process go up or down is dependent on how the Chinese authorities feel because obviously they are heavily affected by what happens to Tencent. But 
if things return to some form of normality, and I don't know whether you could even classify how Chinese, how the Chinese government works as normality, these shares are, are really cheap on a long-term basis. Great. Wayne, we've got exactly two minutes to go. So just to quickly wrap up, Netflix, um, you mentioned it's down 37%. I've got about 15 SMSs. Is that a good buying opportunity? I would hold back on buying any tech now until we see the ultimate direction of US, of US inflation. If over the next three or four months, we get a decisive fall in US inflation, and that's really dependent on the oil price. If the oil price is 150, inflation's not coming down. If it's 90, inflation's coming down. Then you might miss the first initial bounce in these shares. But I would wait for an answer on whether US inflation is going to be eight in a year's time or four. So I would hold back. I mean, if you take a 10-year view, buy it now. No problem. Okay. On a 10-year view, it might fall another 30%. But on a 10-year view, you'll still be happy. But it's painful when I mean, you buy something and it falls another 30%. It's painful. Fantastic. Wayne, oh, unfortunately, we, we need to wrap up. As always, thank you for your time. Um, I know what you're doing in your garage, so enjoy it. And uh, hopefully you. one day you'll take me for a ride in whatever you're tinkering with. Hopefully one day I will actually ride them. They'll be finished. <laughs> By the way, Wayne McCurry is a Jaguar enthusiast. Wayne, thanks so much for your time. Pleasure. Look thanks, after Abby. yourself. Be well. Thank you for listening. We'll speak to you next week.